This is day 210 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing Acts chapters 25 through 28 today, which will end the book. And then we'll start fresh tomorrow with the book of Romans. Lord God, as we enter into your word, please show us the truth. Please show us where we are wrong and where we are sinners. Please show us where we need to repent and where we need to develop ourselves. May we be like Paul, someone who sacrificed his own will and his own comfort so that your gospel could be spread. Lord, may you be magnified in our hearts and through our actions, that we wouldn't be afraid of society or peer pressure or backlash from anything that we do in your name, that we would do it boldly, knowing that we are storing up treasures in heaven. Lord, we need to set aside our egos and our fears and put it at your feet. And Lord, just to do what you've told us to do in your word. Please help us to have that boldness and that zeal that Paul has. Please bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Festus then, having arrived in the province, three days later went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul, and they were urging him, requesting a concession against Paul that he might have him brought to Jerusalem, at the same time setting an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus then answered that Paul was being kept in custody at Caesarea, and that he himself was about to leave shortly. Therefore he said, Let the influential men among you go there with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them prosecute him. After he had spent not more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea, and on the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. After Paul arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him which they could not prove, while Paul said in his own defense, I have committed no offense either against the law of the Jews or against the temple, or against Caesar. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as you also very well know. If then I am a wrongdoer, and have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. But if none of those things are true of which these men accuse me, no one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then when Festus had conferred with his counsel, he answered, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you shall go. Now when several days had elapsed, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and paid their respects to Festus. While they were there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man who was left as a prisoner by Felix, and when I was in Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him 
I answered them that it is not the custom of the Romans to hand over any man before the accused meets his accusers face to face, and has an opportunity to make his defense against the charges. So after they had assembled here, I did not delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought before me. When the accuser stood up, they began bringing charges against him, not of such crimes as I was expecting, but they simply had some points of disagreement with him about their own religion and about a dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate such matters, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there stand trial on these matters. But when Paul appealed to be held in custody for the emperor's decision, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So on the next day, when Agrippa came together with Bernice amid great pomp and entered the auditorium accompanied by the commanders and the prominent men of the city at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all you gentlemen here present with us, you see this man about whom all the people of the Jews appealed to me, both at Jerusalem and here loudly declaring that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, and since he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. Yet I have nothing definite about him to write to my lord. Therefore I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the investigation has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems absurd to me in sending a prisoner not to indicate also the charges against him. Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and proceeded to make his defense. In regard to all the charges of which I am accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I am able to make my defense before you today especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions among the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. So then, all Jews know my manner of life from my youth up, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem, since they have known about me for a long time. If they are willing to testify that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion, and now I am standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our twelve tribes hoped to attain, as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, O king, I am being accused by Jews. Why is it considered incredible among you people if God does raise the dead? So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. 
And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them, even to foreign cities. While so engaged, as I was journeying to Damascus, with the authority and commission of the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. When we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea, and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and return to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. So, having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying to both small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer, and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light, both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. While Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. Agrippa replied to Paul, In a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would wish to God that whether in a short or long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day, might become such as I am, except for these chains. The king stood up, and the governor and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them, and when they had gone aside, they began talking to one another, saying, This man is not doing anything worthy of death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. When it was decided 
that we would sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in an Adramidian ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. From there we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus, because the winds were contrary. When we had sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us aboard it. When he had sailed slowly for a good many days, and with difficulty had arrived off Canidus, since the wind did not permit us to go further, we sailed under the shelter of Crete, off Salmone, and with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. When considerable time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them, and said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there, if somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. When a moderate south wind came up, supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete, close inshore. But before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind, called Uraquilo, and there the ship was caught in it, and they could not face the wind. We gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. Running under the shelter of a small island called Clauda, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. After they had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables in undergirding the ship, and fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Sirtis, they let down the sea anchor and in this way let themselves be driven along. The next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo, and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice, and not to have set sail from Crete, and occurred this damage and loss. Yet now I urge you to keep your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, 
but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. But when the fourteenth night came, as we were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. They took soundings and found it to be twenty fathoms. And a little farther on, they took another sounding and found it to be fifteen fathoms. Fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. But as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship and had let down the ship's boat into the sea, on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. Until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have been consistently watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is your preservation, for not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. Having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. All of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. All of us in the ship were 276 persons. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. When day came, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a bay with a beach, and they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. And casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea while at the same time they were loosening the ropes of the rudders and hoisting the foresail to the wind, they were able to head to the beach. But striking a reef where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, so that none of them would swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention, and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest should follow, some on planks and others on various things from the ship. And so it happened that they all were brought safely to land. When they had been brought safely through, then we found out that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us extraordinary kindness, for because of the rain that had set in, and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. 
But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself onto his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, Undoubtedly this man is a murderer, and though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. But they were expecting that he was about to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island, named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously three days. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed, afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him, and after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. After this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. They also honored us with many marks of respect, and when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all we needed. At the end of three months, we set sail on an Alexandrian ship which had wintered at the island, and which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. After we put in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. From there, we sailed around and arrived at Regium, and a day later, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There, we found some brethren, and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And thus, we came to Rome. And the brethren, when they heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Appius, and three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself, with the soldier who was guarding him. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me, because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. They said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for concerning this sect it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God 
in trying to persuade them concerning Jesus, from both the law of Moses and from the prophets, from morning until evening. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. When they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand, and you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They also will listen. When he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters, and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. All right, congratulations. We have completed the book of Acts today. So let's see what Paul went through today. We saw he went through a roller coaster of stuff, didn't he? When Paul got back to Jerusalem, since the Holy Spirit was urging him to go, despite all the warnings from the people, we saw that he obeyed the elders of the church of Christ, and he went to the temple to purify himself with a couple other people. When he was there, though, he upset so many Jews, the ones that purposely were seeking him out, and they had him arrested. And we saw all the drama yesterday. But now... He is in the custody of Governor Felix. Felix did a halfway job finding justice for Paul, and he seems awfully corrupt. And so he left Paul two years waiting for his trial. He at least had some freedoms. He wasn't in a jail cell without anything to eat, at least. But it still is imprisonment. But then we see after he finishes his term as governor, there's a new governor that comes into town. Festus. And Festus, the first thing that he does is he goes to Jerusalem in order to appeal to the Jews because there has been a lot of unrest as of late. The Jews saw this as an opportunity to ask that Paul be returned to Jerusalem. And if Festus agreed to that, then they would kill Paul on the way back to Jerusalem as they had originally planned. But that didn't happen, right? We saw that Festus went to Caesarea where Paul was, and he decided to to hear him himself. Now, while Paul was in front of Festus, Festus suggested that Paul go to Jerusalem, and Paul realized that this was not going to be a fair case. And just like Felix, he is doing the Jews a favor. It's all political. They don't really care about Paul's justice being served here. And so he knew that this was the right course of action for him to appeal to Caesar. That was really the only way that he could get out of there safely. So he appealed to Caesar, which is the highest right of a Roman citizen. 
he knew that he would be in great danger if he was released to the Jewish people. They would kill him. He knew that. And he knew God also told him that he had to go to Rome. So what better way to get a one-way ticket to Rome than to appeal to Caesar? So it was really a genius move to do that. Now at the time that he appealed to Caesar, Emperor Nero was Caesar at the time. Festus agreed that he should go to Caesar. And then while he was there, King Agrippa came. King Agrippa is the great-grandson of Herod the Great. And Herod the Great is the ruler that tried to get Jesus killed when his star appeared in the sky and, and the wise men came from afar to worship him. That, that's his great-grandfather. And so now King Agrippa here is the leader of the territories that were under Roman jurisdiction. Now, it mentions Bernice, and in records outside of the Bible, it mentions that Bernice was actually his biological sister. So, it's disgusting, but they were involved in an act of incest. They were living together in a relationship incestually. And Paul is Paul, right? He didn't need to talk to King Agrippa. But he wanted an opportunity to talk to him so he could witness to him. <laughs> and I love that about him. He used the opportunity in order to witness to this king. And so he goes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He goes through his testimony, goes, shows everything that happened to him to show that he's innocent. He's just doing exactly what he told, and he has come to realize that Jesus is Lord. And at the end of it, Festus is like, you've gone mad, Paul. All of this great learning of yours has made you crazy. He just could not understand Paul's line of thought. It was just so beyond him. And isn't that the case for us too? The cross is foolishness to those who don't believe. So it makes a lot of sense why they couldn't understand Paul. Now, a grandpa himself is a Jew. And he has no problems with the semantics here. And in fact, he makes a very profound statement. He says, In a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian. And that's exactly what Paul was aiming for, wasn't it? He even said that right there. He's, he's like, I wish to God, whether in a short or long time, you would be like me, saved. Not in, not in chains necessarily, but you, I want you to be like me. I want you to know the true God of the law and the prophets. And so they agree that there's nothing about him that is worthy of being killed. King Agrippa is on his side on this. And yet, because he appealed to Caesar, they will not let him go. And ultimately, this was the plan, right? He was supposed to go to Rome anyway. So this works out for Paul. Now, his journey to Rome was not easy, as we saw from here. We saw that his journey was long, and it was very tough. There were many times throughout their journey where they suffered difficult winds and rough sea conditions, and then, after much time at sea, they finally shipwrecked. He told them in advance that it was going to happen, and they didn't listen to him. But then, as things were getting really bad, he said that, like, you should have listened to me. 
but I have to make it to Rome. God has told me I have to go to Rome. And in fact, he has guaranteed that if you stay with me, all of you are going to live. And so there were times where they tried to deviate from this plan, and Paul reminded them, hey, if they leave this boat, I can't save them. And so they stayed, and all of them made it to shore. And you saw how many there were, right? In verse 37, we see it says that there were 276 persons on that ship. So it wasn't just a small little dinky boat with 10 people on it. This was a big ship. And all of them made it safely because of God acting through Paul. So they make it to Malta, and there they're treated very well. And then we see something very interesting happen to Paul. While he's at the fire, a viper bites him on the arm. And when they saw this happen, they're like, oh no, he must be a murderer. I guess there was a superstitious understanding that if you were to be bit by a viper, that means you did something wrong. Kind of like how the Jewish people think that if you have a disability or some sort of health issue, it's because you are a sinner. They said, well, you know, he I guess he's a murderer because justice has finally caught up with him. The sea didn't claim him, but now the viper is going to claim him. But he didn't die. And they were freaking out about that. And they said, oh, man, he didn't die from that viper? He must be a god. And then you want to put icing on that cake. He went and started healing people. So, of course, yeah, they thought he was a god. We don't see him fight it like when him and Barnabas were being treated as gods elsewhere. But we know that he would not have tolerated that. And he spent time there, and he witnessed to them, and then he set sail to Rome, and they finally made it to Rome. Now, the thing to remember is, and I don't know if it's related at all, but God's plans cannot be thwarted, first of all. So if he says Paul needs to go to Rome, he's going to make it to Rome, no matter what. Even if a viper bites him, he's still going to get to Rome. So it was perfectly in God's ability to prevent any sort of poison to kill Paul. But then it makes you wonder if the end of the book of Mark makes more sense now. Because if we recall, the very end of the book of Mark is in brackets. And one of the things mentioned in that is that you will not die from snake bites and that you will not die when you drink poison. So it makes you wonder about these things that maybe some of that is true. I'm not going to try and find out, but maybe it's true. Either way, God's sovereignty cannot be overruled, and if he has decreed that Paul's going to make it to Rome, by golly, he's going to make it to Rome. And it wasn't like he went to Rome and the very next day he appealed to Caesar. He was there for a couple of years before he saw Caesar. And that's where we end the book of Acts, with him ministering in Rome. And he did that unhindered. He was able to freely witness and share Jesus Christ with people in Rome. That is why he went to Rome. He had people in Rome to save and bring the gospel to them. How wonderful that is, right? Now, we don't show this in the Bible, but tradition states that shortly after the book of Acts here, he does go, and ultimately 
he is beheaded. Tradition states that he is chained to a pillar and he is beheaded in the name of Christ. He didn't have it easy. He was executed for his faith. He did great things during his life, and he is certainly reaping the heavenly rewards right now. The Bible doesn't really always really make it super obvious how long these things take, but from the moment that we saw Paul to the time that we see him in Rome, it's been over 30 years. So since the moment that he was converted, it was roughly about 33 AD. It wasn't that far after Jesus left the earth. It's estimated that within the first year or two of the church being founded on the day of Pentecost is when Paul is converted to Christianity. And if you recall, after he went to Jerusalem and met with the brethren there, and they saw that he was no longer out to kill them, that they sent him to Tarsus. And then later, Barnabas got him and sent him with him on his first missionary journey. Now, this was more than 10 years later. So the Bible doesn't really show all that information, but when you look at all the records side by side, it starts to make more sense. Because scholars suggest that it was around 33 AD that Paul was converted, but then his first missionary journey wasn't until about 47 AD. So you're talking 14 years after he was converted. So he had plenty of time to prepare and be training for that. And it was during his missionary journeys that he wrote the letters that we are enjoying today in the Bible. The first letter we think was written by Paul was the book of Galatians, and then the Thessalonians, and then the Corinthians, and then Romans. And then while he's in prison is when he wrote Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philippians. So now that we got to see the factual life of what happened to Paul during his missionary journey, as well as the activities of the first church. And it was beautiful to see that. And there's so many things that they did that need to be preserved in our church today. And I hope that we can take the example of the first church and of Paul and show what kind of character we need to have as Christians. Someone who is united with their group, someone who is willing to go outside of their comfort zone and share the gospel with people, regardless of what happens to them. That's what needs to happen to us. Now tomorrow, we are going to enter into arguably the greatest book of the New Testament and possibly the Bible, because it is so steeped with theology, it is so steeped with the goodness of Jesus Christ. So as you can tell, I very much look forward to starting Romans tomorrow. That's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.